I felt like Matlock uh, all day on Friday. But anyway, just make you feel better if you ever show up at a wedding and you missed that part of the invitation. But thankfully they were gracious and let us in. And thankfully even the country club let us in. But anyway, just know that sometimes you may see the silver bullet and the pumpkin. They may appear anytime. Well, we're going to begin a brand new sermon series today that we're calling Notable Nights in the Bible. Notable Nights in the Bible. All kinds of interesting things, profound things, amazing things happened at night in the Scripture. We're going to be looking at some of those things uh, together. I'll tell you, go ahead and find the book of Daniel, if you will. We'll be in Daniel in just a little bit. But let me give you a question to think about as we kind of jump into the series together. Why do we get surprised when troubles come? Why do we get surprised when troubles come? We know that we live in a broken world. We live in a world that is marred by sin and decay. We feel it in our bodies. We see it in our belongings. We hear it from our brothers and sisters. The Lord Jesus clearly tells us in John 16, 33, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. But I think we really struggle when the troubles come in our lives because we belong to Jesus Christ, because we follow Jesus Christ. It's a little bit confusing at times. I mean, it really seems like that should be the remedy, not the actual cause of the trouble. I remember as a young Christian, that was one of the things I struggled with greatly. Maybe you're struggling with it right now. This whole idea, well, I'm following Jesus, I'm seeking to serve Jesus, I love Jesus, but all these problems are coming in my life. Or maybe in your case, it's somebody else. And you know that God has the power to remove the problems. You know God has the ability to prevent those things. And sometimes you find yourself wrestling. I think Stephen McAlpine clarifies it when he writes, and this is really applicable to us who live in the United States, only a few generations ago, Christianity was the good guy, the solution to what was bad. Rather than being on the wrong side of the law, we were the law. The cultural, legal, and political power structure affirmed Christians. Then something changed. Over the course of the 20th century, we became just one of the guys, an option among many, a voice to be considered, but not to be followed unquestionably. Then he goes on to say the tide has shifted further. Increasingly, Christianity is viewed as the bad guy. Christianity is no longer an option. It's a problem. The cultural, political, and legal guns that Christianity once held are now trained on us, and it's happened quickly. We're on the wrong side of history, the wrong side of so many issues and conversations. If this were a Western... We would be the guys wearing the black hats whose appearance is accompanied by a foreboding soundtrack. It comes as a surprise. We're not sure how it happened. We don't like it and we don't feel like we deserve it. But we are bad guys now. That's where we find ourselves as Christians. We're the bad guys many of the times. We've forgotten that the Scripture says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, yes, and everyone who wants to live godly, a godly life in Christ Jesus, will suffer persecution. We forget that we follow a Savior who was beaten 
and brutally crucified. We've forgotten that we're not the first to face problems in our life and face trouble in our life when it comes to following the Lord, and we will not be the last. In fact, think about it. Many of the heroes of the faith, when you go throughout the Scripture, when you look back in church history, many of the heroes of the faith, those men and women that we revere and look at and look up to in so many ways, they face tremendous pressure. They, they face problems. They face persecution. And in fact, this morning as we begin this new series, Notable Nights in the Bible, we're going to spend the night with lions. With a bunch of lions. You've already figured out, I'm sure, by now, as I've asked you to turn to the book of Daniel, and we're going to spend the night with some lions that we're talking about one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible, Daniel and the lion's den. Daniel chapter 6 is where I need you to be, please. I'm afraid that we've lost some of the wonder of this story because of the familiarity of it. Uh, for those who were brought up in church, you've heard the story of Daniel and the lion's den your entire life. You had a Bible story book. You, you have looked at pictures of it. We've heard the stories. We've looked at illustrations in Sunday school and Bible story books. And, and we, we kind of are lost and forget the fact that Daniel faced the real possibility of a horrendous, terrifying, gruesome death at the mouth of ferocious lions. You know, because it's, it's kind of cleaned up and kind of, kind of pretty in a way in the children's books. And believe me, I'm not encouraging that they, they write what could happen in the children's books for, for little bitty tiny kids. But I want you to think about facing a lion... I just put a picture up there for you. Remember, it was a den of lions. It would have been dark. But imagine you're standing there with no protection, no cage, no gun, nothing, and that walks out to greet you. That's where Daniel found himself. I know personally I've seen lions, living lions, but they've always been, thankfully, behind a cage or behind, I hope, really thick glass, plexiglass. But even seeing them, knowing that there is safety between me and those creatures, it still kind of strikes terror. And to hear them roar, I'm understanding one of the most fearful things is to hear the roar of a lion out in the jungle. But imagine being face to face with that and know that they are hungry. Y'all know I'm not a big fan of cats, but especially cats that can eat me. I just want nothing to do with them. Now add to the fact where Daniel is in his life at this time. You may not realize it, but Daniel is probably in his 80s at this time. In his 80s. He's been in captivity the majority of his life. He's now serving in a new kingdom, the Medo-Persian Empire. So there he is in his 80s. He's an older man. He's been in captivity most of his life. And he finds himself face to face with not just one lion, but a group of lions. And not out where he can run and hide and get away, or at least try. He is in a den. He is bound and he is in trouble. Now, I want us to go and I want us to read Daniel chapter 6. And what I want to do today is I want to read it from the NLT just so you can maybe hear it with some new words. It's a translation of the original here. But just so maybe you can hear it slightly different. You can follow in your copy, whatever version you brought today. But I want to read the whole chapter. 
And then we'll come back and talk about three realities, all right? Daniel chapter 6, begin reading at verse 1. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, verse 5, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors and governors, by the way, that's a lie there. They're not all in agreement because Daniel wasn't consulted. But they're all in agreement, the group that went there and said that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now your majesty issue and sign this law so that it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. Verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. With its windows open toward Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he's always done, giving thanks to his God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Then verse 13. You can almost feel their satisfaction of their evil tongues as they said the next words here. Verse 13, Then they told the king, That man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel! Servant of the living God, was your God whom you served so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? 
Daniel answered, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so they would not hurt me, for I have been innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed in order that Daniel be lifted up from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He's rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And verse 28 says, So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. In our remaining time together, I want to give you three realities to hang on to. Three realities to hang on to regarding troubles in your life. Three realities to hang on to regarding troubles in your life. You might want to jot these down. There's just three of them. You say, well, I'm not having any trouble right now. You will. You will. You need to be ready for it. So jot these down. These are three realities. Reality number one, serving God can get you into trouble. Serving God can get you into trouble. You've heard me say that here before, but we see it really evident in today's passage. I almost worded it this way. Serving God will get you into trouble because it will. But I left that can in there because not every time we serve God do we get in trouble, but sometimes when we serve God we get in trouble. This is a fact that we need to face, we need to accept, and we need to expect. As I stated earlier, Sometimes we get surprised at troubles, especially at troubles that come because we serve God. It's interesting, Peter writing in 1 Peter 4.12 said, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Apparently the believers he was writing to thought it was kind of strange we're getting in all these troubles. He said, don't be surprised by that. It's not strange. In other words, it's normal for you to have trials and troubles because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what did uh, Daniel do wrong here? He was condemned to die, a gruesome, horrible death. What was it that he was guilty of? What did he do wrong? I mean, he he served the king faithfully. He always did right. In fact, verse 4 is amazing. It says, when the administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, they couldn't find anything, notice this, to criticize or condemn. Why? Because it says he was faithful, he was always responsible, and he was completely trustworthy. They couldn't find any dirt on him. They looked, I mean, I'm sure they uncovered everything, looked under every file, everything. They couldn't find anything. He was a godly man. He was a man of integrity. Now, he was not sinless. Daniel was a sinner, just like we are. 
but the way they conducted his life, the way that he conducted his business. And so the only way they could figure out how to get Daniel was through his walk with God, what they called his religion. So they concocted this new law. Basically, the law said that for 30 days, you could not pray, you're not allowed to pray, to petition anyone except for the king. And sad to say, I imagine the king kind of felt a little prideful maybe at this point. He foolishly signed this law, the law of the Medes and the Persians. It was a law that could not be revoked, it could not be altered. And the punishment for breaking the law, of course, was to be thrown into the den of lions for praying. For praying. That's what Daniel was guilty of. So this law has passed. It's irrevocable. It's there. So what did Daniel do? He did what he's always done. He went home and prayed. Look at what it says in verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day just as he had always done giving thanks to his God. He didn't change his pattern, location, or routine to pray. He did what he's always done. He prayed. And he kept on praying. He obeyed and honored God rather than man. I wonder as I read this and I think about our lives, do our, do our co-workers know that we belong to God? If they went looking for things to accuse us of or condemn us or criticize us, would they find anything? Do they know that prayer is a vital part of our life that we would be willing to die over? It's not that we go around advertising this. It's not that we go around saying, hey, you know, I'm a Christian, look at me. But believe me, if you live a godly life, it will show. Daniel was not running around in his Christian t-shirt. Daniel didn't have a, a, a fish bumper sticker on his chariot. He just lived his life. He lived a godly life. He was a man of integrity, a man of faithfulness, a man who did what he's supposed to do, a man who honored God. But serving God and living that way got him into trouble. And I don't mean just a little bit of trouble. I mean a lot of trouble. I mean take away your life kind of trouble. But reality number one is serving God can get you into trouble. If you'll just go ahead and accept that today and just go ahead and expect that today, it's just a really, really a relief to realize, hey, as I serve God, as I'm going to be faithful, somewhere along the line, it's going to cost me in some way, shape, or form. That's a reality. Serving God gets you in trouble. Here's another one. Don't miss this one. Reality number two, you're going to like this one. The God you serve will be with you in your troubles. The God you serve will be with you in your troubles. Let me give you a verse that's helped me so much in my life. This is a verse you might want to jot down the reference. I would encourage you to write this verse on a card, put it where you can see it and even memorize it. But I want you to listen to this verse. It's Isaiah 41, verse 10. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Listen to what Isaiah 41, 10 says. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. You need that truth in your life. Put that verse somewhere where you can see it. Put it in your heart. Be reminded of when you're having trouble, whether it's trouble from serving the Lord or you're facing that, maybe it's just general troubles and trials and problems that you face, to remember in the midst of that, the Lord saying to you, 
Be not afraid, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. It's a different version there. For I am thy God. I will strengthen you. I will hold you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. Victorious right hand. He is victorious and he will help us. Daniel was put into a den of lions. They put a stone. They sealed the entrance. And he was left to die. Now here's the question I don't usually hear talked about very much. Do you think Daniel was afraid at any point? This means yes. This means no. This means I should have went to bed earlier. Here's how I'm going to answer it. I think he was. Had to have been. Why? Because he's human. I don't know about you, but if I took you today, said, hey, we're going to the zoo. I'm going to let you walk in. I'm going to lock you in the lion habitat there. I, I mean, you might be tough. But I, I'm pretty sure there's going to be some fear that's going to be present there. But I, I think you might be not too smart if you're not a little fearful. I think that Daniel went in as a human being. But see, he didn't just walk in fear. He also walked in faith. You know what I'm talking about? There's a fear that's mingled with faith. God has given us fear. Fear is a proper response in certain situations. Fear is life-preserving in certain situations. And when you're hanging around lions, I think it's good to have a healthy fear. But I think there was some fear there, but it was quickly turned into victory. Why? Because God was with him. And God shut the mouths of these lions. God delivered Daniel. Now, I know what some may be thinking. Yeah, but God doesn't always deliver from the lions. And you are correct. There have been many believers who have died because they were thrown to the lions. There have been many believers who have died because of Various reasons, persecution and suffering, martyrs for the faith. What we've got to remember today, though, is the fact that even if, even if Daniel had died in that lion's den, it does not diminish God's power and God's ability. And it should not dampen our trust in God. Why? Because God is always perfect. His wisdom is perfect. What He does is perfect. And sometimes, yes, He delivers miraculously. Sometimes He does not hear he takes that believer home. But regardless, we can trust God in whatever we face. Why? Because the God we serve is with us in our troubles. He does not leave us alone. Now, in this situation, God chose to preserve Daniel's life. He, cho he chose to honor himself through saving Daniel here. But really, whether God delivers us or, or, or helps us in the midst of our trial, whether he takes us out or, or stays with us in, he's always with us. Which brings us to the third reality. You're writing these down. Here's the third reality. The God you serve deserves all the glory when He delivers you from your troubles. The God you serve deserves all the glory when He delivers you from your troubles. Now, God is always worthy of praise. He's always worthy of glory. But we're thinking of deliverance from trouble right now. Deliverance from trouble. And did you notice what happened here after Daniel was delivered. Did you notice how God is glorified? We know that Daniel praised the Lord. Look back at verse 22. Daniel says, My God sent His angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in His sight, and I have not wronged you, Your Majesty. Now remind me when we get to heaven, remind me when we get to heaven to ask Daniel what that night was like. Daniel, did you see the angel? Did, did the angel stay the whole night? Did he just 
shut the lion's mouth and then go on about his angelic errands. How did all that play out? Did the angel, did it light up the place? Did you take a lion and kind of fluff him up and make yourself a nice pillow and sleep away the night? Exactly how did that happen? Remind me to ask Daniel that when we get to heaven. We've got plenty of time to talk about it. We want the full story. But right now, notice that Daniel prays. He says to the king, My God delivered me. He praised the Lord. He gave him glory. Did you notice how God was even praised by King Darius? In fact, I was amazed when I looked at this. Again, I've known the story for the majority of my life. I was brought up in church. I've heard the story of Daniel. I've preached on this. I've studied this. I've taught this. I've had college classes on this. But the whole thing about it is, did you notice especially here, it just kind of struck me what King Darius said. Not Daniel, King Darius. Look at it. Look at verse number 16. So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, now notice these words, may your God whom you serve so faithfully rescue you. I mean, here you have King Darius saying, Daniel, May your God rescue you. May He deliver you. Look at verse 20. When he got there, the king, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Drop down to verse 25. Notice the message in verses 25 to 27 that King Darius sent. This message went out to the people of every race, nation, and language throughout the world, his kingdom. Peace and prosperity to you. Look at verse 26. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. Now notice what he says about God. This is remarkable. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heaven on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Now, I want you to notice something very important. There are so much wonderful things we can talk about. But I want you to see this and note this as you study the Scripture today. I want you to notice who the hero of the story is. The hero of the story is certainly not King Darius. And the hero of the story is certainly not those evil leaders who concocted all this to get Daniel thrown to the den of lions. And the hero of the story is certainly not the lions. The hero of the story is God. The God of Daniel. See, this story is not about how great Daniel is. This story is about how great God is. God is the hero of this story. God is always the hero of the story. And God is worthy of our complete devotion and trust and service even if it means dying for Him. But here's the reality, beloved. You will never die for Him if you don't live for Him. And you'll never live for Him if you don't know Him. And if you don't know Him, you're, never going, uh, you're not going to know Him because you don't spend time with Him. Let me say that again. You will never die for Him if you don't live for Him. You'll never live for Him if you don't know Him. And you'll never know Him if you don't spend time with Him. You've got to spend time. You say, what's the key to all of this? Well, obviously God's the one in His power to deliver, but I think the key for Daniel, the reason that Daniel could walk into the lion's den or be dropped into the lion's den is this, is because he spent three times a day in his room praying to God, building up his faith in the Lord. 
building up his trust, asking for help, asking for wisdom, and God strengthened his faith. Why? Because a vital part of that was the time that Daniel spent with God in prayer. Which naturally brings you to the question that we all need to ask ourselves, what about our prayer life? Let's say that our government passed a law this week forbidding prayer. Not just no prayer in school, but no prayer anywhere. Would that impact you at all? I mean, a lot of us would scream, I can't believe the government passed a law against prayer. But in reality, does it really, does it really impact you? Are you really praying? You see, beloved, our prayerlessness, our lack of prayer is so costly. In fact, can I just be very blunt today? Not praying is very arrogant and very prideful. Not praying is saying to God, God, I don't need you. God, I don't need your help. I don't need your wisdom. I don't need your guidance, your protection, your provision. God, I don't need you. I've got it under control. I'm self-sufficient. Don't need you, Lord. Now you say, Rodney, we would never, ever say that. We would never verbalize the furthest thing in my mind would say something like that. You don't have to say it. We say that when we don't pray. That's what our prayerlessness really is. It's saying, God, I don't need you. Now, what about you? I don't want to put you in a guilt trip. It's not to make you feel bad. It's to challenge you and challenge myself. Does your prayer life need a re- renewal today? Are there some steps you need to take in your life to get your prayer life back on track and really cry out to the Lord? I love it here where it says, well, when Daniel heard the law had been signed, I mean, he could have done like a lot of us would have done, you know, saying, you know, I, I've been praying a lot lately. I, I think I might just take a 30-day break from praying and I'll just read the, you know, the scrolls a little bit more, read the Scripture, and maybe I'll read maybe just, I'll, I'll think about God a little bit more for the next 30 days. I, I've been praying. So I, I prayed three times a day for the whole, uh, my whole life here. And I, I think, what, what's 30 days? After 30 days, the law's done. And then I'll get back to praying. Daniel didn't do that. What do you need to do? You need to put a reoccurring appointment on your calendar that simply says pray. Do you need to set an alarm on your phone and label it pause and pray? Do you need to put a note on your dashboard as you're driving to work or going to school in the morning It just says don't forget to pray? What a night Daniel had with the lions. But I'm convinced that part of the reason, ultimately God gets the glory and God has the power and God did it, but one of the reasons that Daniel could walk into that den of lions and live his life the way he did was because three times a day he knelt and prayed to the Lord. What about your prayer life? What is God saying to you? Let's pause and let's ask him. Let's ask his help. Father, we ask You to speak to our hearts right now. Help us to be honest with ourselves. What is it that we need to change or adjust in our life of prayer? God, we acknowledge that You are the hero of this story. You did all these things, but we do understand from the Scripture 
that Daniel spent time in prayer. And that certainly must have contributed to his strengthening of his faith, Lord, in facing this great challenge in his life. So help us to be obedient to whatever it is that you're saying to us today. May prayer become a vital part of our walk with you. And may we be seeking you, as Daniel did, praying without ceasing, asking for your grace, asking for your help, asking you to guide our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn goes along with that idea, 424. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. The altar is open as always. If we can help you in some way, please let us know. We'd be happy to pray with you. But let's stand together our closing hymn, 424, I Must Tell Jesus. Distressing, kindly will help.